The dragging sound was the first thing to come back. Coming through piercing waves into my consciousness, I was being pulled across the ground a few feet at a time. Feeling came back next. The floor was dirty. Loose gravel seemed to have been scattered across it. My hips and legs scraped across the rocks. Then came the light, dim and textured. Was there something wrong with my eyes? I tried to move my hands to rub them, but only to find that they were bound tightly at my wrists. I blinked hard, trying to clear the fog so that I could make out my surroundings. I had some kind of bag over my head, burlap, the brown threads visible against a single light source that shone above me. Scrape, drag, scrape. I was continually pulled, further and further along what felt like an endless floor. Then the weightlessness came and a sudden impact to my side that forcibly expelled the air from my lungs. I gasped, body reflexing to the sudden impact. I coughed and sputtered as dust and dirt swirled around me. The feeling only worsened, being bound at the hands and unable to see. A moment later, after wheezing and slowly drawing in normal breaths again, the sound of soft footfalls near me could be heard. Something stepped in front of the light, and the bag was forcibly yanked from my head. I blinked again as several flakes of dirt were thrown on my face after the hood was lifted. A tall, bearded man stood before me. His clothes were ragged, disgusting, as if they'd never been clean. The man looked down at me and sighed. Another one, he breathed, almost inaudibly, like he was talking more to himself than to me. A what? I gasped in reply. He said nothing, though, just moved behind me and began loosening the knots on my wrists. He had him off pretty quickly, and I scrambled to my feet and away from him. The man put up his hands instinctively, but his face looked stony, almost annoyed, actually. You could at least say thank you, he said curtly. When I was thrown in here, I was by myself. It took me two days to get my restraints off. Thank you, I replied, unsure of this whole situation, but couldn't argue that I was glad that my hands were free. I looked up and saw at least ten feet above me there was a hole, perfectly square, made entirely out of concrete. My eyes traced down from there to see that I was standing in a large, cube-shaped room that was made entirely of smooth cement. Any idea of going back up through the hole without assistance was futile. There would be no way to scale these walls with my bare hands. What is this place? I asked. The man chuckled a little waving his finger at me as if dismissing the question out of hand. You know what, he said. You're all alike, all of you. You get thrown in here like I did and you're full of questions, want to figure everything out. You don't, I asked, admittedly intrigued by the man's attitude. I've got it all figured out, he answered matter-of-factly. It's you new people that come in here and want to go exploring. At this statement, he raised his hand and pointed at something behind me. I turned and found there was a large opening directly behind that I had not noticed till now. It was pitch dark and seemed to lead further into an underground cavern. I turned back to the man. What's in there? I asked. See that right there. That's what I'm talking about, he said, but then didn't explain any further. You're really frustrating to talk to, 
I said, maybe unintentionally a little more rudely than I intended. The man laughed loudly, though, apparently entertained by my frank observation about his demeanor. Let me ask you something, he said, moving a little closer to me. What's your name? I instinctively breathed in to make the words, but then paused, mind going blank, unable to retrieve an answer from the depths of my mind. The man raised his eyebrows at my hesitation. What? Having trouble remembering? He asked. No, no, I'm, uh, I stammered. I get it, he said. That one was too hard. How about you tell me the last thing you remember? I mean, before the floor and uh, falling in here. Again, I stood, completely stumped by the question. How come I could not remember anything about how I got here? How could I not remember my own name? A cold wave of fear and uncertainty washed over me. Being unable to recall anything at all was unsettling. The man pressed in on me then, closing the gap and coming even closer. You can't remember, can you? He asked. I stood and looked at him, silent. He intuited the answer from my expression. He turned away from me then, putting his hand up in a resigned sort of way. Well, we at least have one thing in common. I can't remember a single thing either. No matter how much time I spend down here, nothing ever comes back, he said as he slumped down on the far wall. How long have you been down here? I asked. I'm not sure anymore, he said. The light is always on. I never see any daylight. Whoever threw you in here brings food and water, but never consistently enough to tell time. I tried counting the seconds once. It started to make me go crazy, though. He looked up at me then. Have to keep your head about you down here, he finished, tapping his finger to his forehead rapidly. How do you think they are keeping us down here? I asked. The man seemed to turn and pace back and forth in the cube. He seemed to be having a hard time keeping still now. Thought about that a lot, he said. Never get an answer when they bring food. I don't actually see them when they do. Not sure they're even real. They have to be real, I said. Do they? He shouted. You know what I think? I think I'm already dead. I'm dead, you're dead, all the people that went in the tunnel are dead. Why would you say that? We're here, breathing. You said they bring food and water, I replied, trying to work him through this logically. No, man, you're thinking about this place all wrong. All that's in your head, he said. This is just limbo here, this place. Throwing his arms out, he seemed to gesture all around him, as if he were in some grand foyer. I'll be staying here, he said, never going like the rest of them. They go through that tunnel over there and they never come back. I think I'll stay where it's safe. The man's behavior seemed to become more erratic the longer we spoke, as if the ideas were bursting out of him. I wondered how long it had been since he had someone to talk to, as if he'd forgotten how to interact with people normally. He stopped abruptly, though, as the sound of scraping metal came from above. Finally, he shouted. Then he looked over at me and pointed. You, back up! I stood still, looking from the man to the square hole, unsure of what was about to happen. 
I wondered what had sent him into such a frenzy. A sort of metal grating started to come into view. There was something on top of it, but it was hard to see the way the light shined into the pit. Then it was upended by someone I couldn't see on the outside. Several pieces of fruit, cooked meat, and other foods were dropped into our cube. The food hit the dirty floor, coating all of it in filth as it bounced and stuck to the ground. The man rushed over to it and began gorging himself relentlessly. Any appetite I might have had was squashed by the grotesque spectacle of the man forcing more food into his mouth than he could chew, the saliva pouring from his lips down onto the food, almost as if he was claiming it for his own, like an animal or an insect. He looked up at me and began shoveling the food away and into his clothes. Get your own, he growled under his breath, eyes wide and moving to a corner of the cube. I continued to watch as he huddled in a corner, eyeing me suspiciously and consuming the food with a voracious appetite. Though I was afraid to do it, watching this spectacle infused my curiosity of what was beyond this room, the tunnel into the darkness. I looked down at the pile of food that remained, maybe a few scraps of meat and fruit remained. Glancing back up at the opening, I wondered then when food would come again, if it would ever come again. I turned and started to head for the exit, and that's when the chewing and spitting noises of the man behind me stopped. The sounds were replaced with grunts and laughter. Every time, he chuckled. I merely looked back at him, surveying the disgusting specimen, covered with drool and food bits, not showered in who knows how long. I couldn't stay here and become like this, an animal a scavenger, condemned to this cube to go mad with hunger, thirst, and solitude. Stepping into the darkness, the laughter behind me only grew louder, mocking my inevitable flight from the cube. It didn't help my confidence, entering the unknown with laughter and scorn. I couldn't see anything in the tunnel. Feeling my way along the concrete, I came to walls and corners, forcing me to turn different directions. There was no telling where I was now, or if I could go back. The light of the cube long dissipated as I ventured forward. It seemed like hours that I traveled, aimlessly searching the darkness, eyes never adjusting to the prison of the tunnel. Several times I sat, thinking through the turns I had made, taking inventory of when a wall ended, trying in vain to construct a map in my head. I wondered if I'd only traded one state of madness for another, mind slowly deteriorating in the solitude of the dark tunnels, the endless maze that had embraced me. It felt like a day, maybe two, had passed. I was having difficulty accounting for the passage of time. I had come to a section of tunnel that opened up wide. A sliver of light could be seen at the end, like the veil of dark had been sliced with a knife light pouring through the gap. I moved forward, pressing my hand against the surface, which felt like a cool metal. Putting some pressure on it, the door opened, showering me in fluorescent light. I put my hand up instinctively to shield my eyes, the dim fluorescent light still incredibly bright compared to the complete darkness of the maze I passed through. As my eyes adjusted, I realized I was standing in a long hallway doors lined the wall to my left for as far as I could see. 
The closest door to me was quite plain, just a smooth, flat surface with a doorknob. As I stepped forward to take the handle, the metal door behind me suddenly and violently shut. The sound of the slamming metal was deafening as it echoed and reverberated down the hallway. I moved back to the metal door, frantically pulling and prying to see if I could open it again. Though I had no desire to go back into the maze, I wasn't keen on my only route back to food and water being sealed off completely. Despite my efforts, though, I was unable to open the door. I was trapped in this unknown place, left with further exploration as my only option. Turning back to the door, I mustered the courage to try the knob. It turned easily, no signs of being locked or barred or any way. The door opened then, and a very bright light flooded the hallway as it swung open. I had to shield my eyes again as I was confronted with a sunny day, blue skies and fields of grass on the other side of the door. I stepped out into the field with curiosity, looking around at what seemed to be a large park with playgrounds, sports fields, and several trails. I looked behind me and saw the door suspended there, not attached to any sort of building or structure. Just a lonely door frame stood in the middle of this park. I turned back around and found that there was a small family seated close to me, several small kids playing nearby. Timmy, stop it! One of them called out. Ever gonna catch me? The one called Timmy said. The parents sat in quiet amusement as the children played. Something about the scene seemed eerily familiar, though, as if this is something I knew. This park, these people, everything felt like a recollection from some deeper part of my mind. Timmy, Tim, that name. I stood there staring at the kids and the family. My head started to hurt, feeling the pulsing veins in my skull. I knew that name. That was my name. Things were foggy, unclear. I felt like I knew it was true, though, not in my brain, but my heart and my gut. Then I felt it, an irresistible pull back to the door. I stumbled backward toward it, an incredible headwind picking up, the family going about their business like nothing was wrong as I was forced to stumble backward, hands grabbing onto the doorframe to resist being thrown through it. It was no use, though. I was forced through the door, falling down and onto the floor. The door slammed behind me. I jumped up, rushing to the door and attempting to open it again. This time, though, it was sealed shut, solidly locked and unmoving. I kicked at the door, but it didn't even shudder, my foot pounding against an unmoving wall, never to be opened again. Above me, the fluorescent light suddenly went out, bathing me in darkness once more. I stood there still, silently, the sound of my breathing from my assault on the door the only thing that could be heard. Then a flicker about ten feet away from me, Another fluorescent light burned into life. Then another further down, and another, till the hallway was filled with lights all the way to the end, where a single door was positioned on the far wall. I walked nervously to the next door, looking it over and realizing the design had changed, compared to the first door that was quite plain. This one had a small amount of trim around the edges, giving it an ever so slightly more intricate look. I turned the knob, which, like the first door, opened immediately. I stepped through and entered into a school classroom. The kids in here were all seated at desks, 
listening to a teacher give a lecture on a particular math equation. A hand raised out of the crowd of kids. Timmy? asked the teacher. The young student gave an astute answer to the math problem, which earned him accolades from the teacher. I was a good student, I thought to myself as I started to feel the pull of the door back into the hallway. I didn't resist the pull this time, knowing that the force of the wind would become irresistible. Stepping back into the hallway, the door closed and locked behind me. Feeling invigorated by the revelations contained in these doorways, I eagerly went to the next, and then the next. I was in high school, going to prom, getting my diploma. I was working two jobs in college, trying to pay my way myself and complete my studies. I had my first breakup from a serious relationship. It took a long time to recover from that. I had my first job after college, and I got married. Door after door gave me a window into a memory I had long forgotten. Brain unable to recall the picture in my mind, but my heart knowing that these were memories of mine, hidden and locked away behind these doors. I made my way through each one, and after each, the door would slam and lock behind me, light burning out above me. I did this until I expended all of the doors on the main wall, left only with the single door remaining, and a lone light shining above me, I pushed on. The door opened easily, like all the others, but this one was pitch dark inside. I stepped through the frame, moving into an utterly black space. The door swung shut behind me, locking me into this particular memory. There was a quiet sound in the distance, a beeping noise, slow and steady. From a distance, something was approaching me from the darkness. The beeping grew louder, but remained steady. As the object came closer, I started to recognize streets, buildings, lights. A city intersection rushed into view, street passing below my feet like a moving platform. I stood on the corner under a streetlight, watching a quiet scene that seemed to be late at night. That's when the sound of squealing brakes could be heard, and two cars collided violently in the center of the intersection. I wanted to run forward and help, but I was frozen to the spot. The door of one of the cars opened and a bleeding figure tumbled out of it. It was Tim. It was me, struggling to get to his feet. Sirens could be heard in the distance. Emergency services were quick to respond. Tim collapsed in the street, unable to get to his feet due to his injuries. The EMTs parked and rushed over to him, but he didn't stir. As they worked, I found I was able to move again, making my way to the ambulance. I found a seat inside as they got Tim hooked up to a backboard and gurney. He was rolled into the ambulance and the door shut behind the EMT workers who began the life-saving treatments on him. It didn't look like he was breathing. I didn't really understand everything that was happening, but they drove straight to a hospital and into the emergency department. It was many hours that they worked on him, trying to save his life. It was in that moment I thought back to the man in the cube. He said we were all dead, that the people who went through the tunnel were dead. Maybe he was right. Tim did come through, though. Attached to several IV bags and machines, they wheeled him to the intensive care unit, constantly monitored by doctors and nurses to keep him alive. I watched as his family arrived, praying and waiting for him to wake, the doctors unsure of when that might happen, 
If, if it would ever happen. Time seemed to slip by. I watched as the days, seasons, years changed. Family came and went. The young woman that Tim married, visiting and staying by his side all throughout. I approached the side of the bed then. On what was a stormy fall day, the rain speckled the glass of the hospital room. I touched Tim's hand, feeling the warmth of the touch on my own skin. It was then that I felt a rush of life, breath, a quickening. Closing my eyes, my head felt light, floaty. A moment later, I was in the bed, slowly blinking, my eyes dry and foggy from lack of use. I looked up at the woman from the bed, who was quietly praying at the side of the bed. She rose and saw my face, eyes open, staring right back at her. Her jaw dropped, and she rushed out of the room to find help. Nurses and doctors rushing in shortly after. Tim, Tim, can you hear me? She said. I recognized her voice. I blinked several times, my only means of responding. The doctors performed several tests, and in the coming days, unhooked me from the machines that were previously keeping me alive. I had been in a coma for two years since the traumatic car accident, unsure if I would ever wake up. Only I had, defying all expectations, I survived, passing through a mental gauntlet and finding my way back home.